Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Melissa and Lori Love Literacy literacy podcast. We are very excited for today's guests. We have two very special and smart guests. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they wrote a wonder, co-wrote um, an incredible report, a wonderful report uh, called uh, The Elements, Transforming Teaching Through Curriculum-Based Professional Learning. It was published in November of 2020, and Melissa and I have been chomping at the bit to talk with them ever since we read the report. Melissa, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing doing great today. <laughs> I'm so excited just because, you know, we so often talk about high quality instructional materials and how important they are. Um, and we've just started dipping our toe in like, well, there has to be other things that go along with those materials. It can't just be the materials themselves. So I'm really excited to talk about um, deeply about some like what does professional learning for teachers need to look like alongside of them? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to share a little bit to just frame this podcast today. Um, a little, a very small excerpt from the elements. Uh, Jim and Stephanie will tell us more, but um, I'm going to read just a small bit. It says curriculum has a direct impact on student engagement and learning. The instructional materials that teachers use with their students can dramatically accelerate or hamper learning. Perhaps less obvious, yet even more important, is that the way in which teachers use curriculum matters too. This presents a unique opportunity to enhance the efforts of hardworking teachers, provide them with strong, high-quality, standards-aligned curriculum, and make sure they know how to take advantage of everything it has to offer. The question is, how? And so our guests today are going to help us. You're going to totally tell us how. <laughs> tell us how. So Jim and Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Welcome. Good. Glad Good. to be here. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us. It's exciting. Yeah. Would you take a, a moment and introduce yourselves? Sure. Um, my name's uh, Jim Short. I've been working in education for over 30 years. Started out my career as a science teacher, teaching middle school and high school science uh, and did that for about 10 years and then uh, for another big chunk of years working outside the classroom had a, a variety of jobs that still worked in science education um, worked for a charter management organization worked for a nonprofit that that uh, did a lot of work with districts around the country around curriculum implementation uh, worked in a large urban public school system uh, as the science director and got very humble about how hard curriculum implementation is uh, when it's your day job every, every every day, and then went to a natural history museum in New York City and um, got to use the resources of a large um, research-based institution to help teachers in New York City do better science. But for the last five years, uh, I've been at the Carnegie Corporation of New York, which is the country's oldest foundation. It's the one that Andrew Carnegie set up in 1911, and so I make grants in education um, not just in science, but in implementing uh, literacy and math and science instructional materials around the country. Thank you. That's uh, quite a, a varied assortment of things going on in your career there. <laughs> I well, love it. It, 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 it. In some ways, the, the first chunk of the career uh, informed the most recent part of the career. A lot of this work we're doing yeah. now goes back to when I started as a teacher and what I learned working with teachers and now kind of on the philanthropy side, I'm not doing the work, but I'm trying to help others do the work. And I think it's important that you used to do some of the work yourself. So you kind of understand what some of the challenges are that people face. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Gives you some street cred too, right? Yep. Yep. Stephanie, we'd like to welcome you as well. Welcome and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, So I have a much more, I have a more boring past. (laughs) (laughs) But um, at the time when I entered the profession, um, I entered as a secondary social studies teacher. Um, So I spent some years in the classroom. Then I moved up to the district office. And during my time in the district office, I had a number of different responsibilities. And one of those was actually being the first director of staff development the district ever had. Hmm. And during that time, I was introduced to an organization um, that was called the National Staff Development Council. I went to a conference. I became enamored with the organization. And within about Three years of that, I was invited to become the first associate director of the organization and the third person hired by the organization. There were only (laughs) three of us when I got there. Um, And I spent my career there, basically doing everything except being the business manager. And um, my last 10 years at the organization, I spent um, as the executive director. So I tell people, I went really deep into one area, adult learning, professional learning, and how we focus on the adults in schools and support them in order to get the outcomes we want for students. Um, I know a great deal about that. (laughs) I also, in order to kind of get my street credit while I was working um, at NSDC before it became Learning Forward, I ran for my local school board and um, served three terms um, there. And that kind of helped me in being able to figure out how to communicate with superintendents and school boards around the messaging regarding professional learning. Since leaving um, Learning Forward, I've had the pleasure of being able to kind of pick and choose the work that I want to do and to focus in on areas where um, I have my greatest passion and organizations that are mission-driven and individuals who are smart and challenging and care about things that I care about. And that's why I feel really fortunate that I've had the last couple of years to work with Jim, on collaborate with Jim on this important work. That's well, not boring I, at all. <laughs> I, I've told this to Stephanie before, several, many years ago when she, before she was executive director, I remember going to a Learning Forward Summer Institute and watching this amazing facilitator lead us through a multi-day session going, she is so smart. And um, when I came to the foundation, I, I, I was kind of surprised Learning Forward wasn't a grantee. And so we met and it turned out we had a lot of folks, uh, colleagues that we had in common. And so very quickly got to know each other. And I've just been so pleased to be able to work with Stephanie and keep her busy since she's retired. Yeah, keep her from traveling and nobody wants to do that when they retire. <laughs> don't relax, Stephanie. Don't relax. <laughs> so yeah, you I mean you can see the passion that you both have for professional learning um, and why this the elements may have come to be, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like how how did it happen? Like how did how did you all come together to 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 write this report? Well, I'll start by saying uh, when I started teaching, I was very fortunate that uh, I started uh, in a job with another biology teacher who had just selected. I had just come out of my master's program, and so I was just my first full-time teaching job, and I was going to be working with this other 
biology teacher. And he said, I've picked this book to use next year. And I said, well, what is it? And he goes, what's well, called BSCS Biology, a green version, an ecological approach. Well, it was one of the curriculums that we studied in my uh, education program. And so I, I knew about it. It was a very uh, well-designed inquiry-based sort of approach to science that, that had been around for a while. And not only that, but the school sent us to a week-long workshop where we got to meet with the, one of the authors of the book, um, spend a week together doing activities from the program, actually as a new teacher, even planning what the semester, first semester was going to look like with an experienced teacher, as well as uh, getting introduction to this book. And so I started teaching with what now we would call high quality instructional materials. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a traditional textbook. It was a, it was a, a set of instructional materials that not just helped me with the what I needed to teach, but gave me a lot of support for how to teach. Um, and when you're a science teacher and trying to do a more inquiry based way, um, it's hard to kind of, you know, figure out how to make it feel like it's coming from the kids questions and what they're interested in doing and having the right kind of activities or prompts or things to kind of get kids, you know, the surface kind of maybe misconceptions they had and then have really good ideas to learn how to teach them. So when people ask me how I learned to teach, I always say, well, I, I got a degree in biology when I was an undergrad. And so I learned a lot of content and I got a master's degree and learned something about like how to manage a classroom and, and teach. But if you ask me how to teach biology, it was using those high quality instructional materials. Uh, and, and for the whole 10 years, I was very fortunate to continue to use BSCS materials. Um, and so a lot of the work that I did subsequently after that in, in professional learning still had a curriculum focus. Um, but I think one of the things that we um, struggle with, I think, as a field is when we talk about professional learning around curriculum, we tend to start talking about training sessions. And we even mm -hmm. talk about, like, you know, training teachers up and doing a curriculum training. And, you know, if you want, if you want, if I want to learn something about how to make my cell phone work better or do something on the computer, a training is fine. But curriculum needs to go deeper than that because it's going to need to be adapted or, or changed or modified to meet the needs of all your students. And you want to do that in a way that honors the integrity of what the curriculum was designed to do. And you can't do that if you've only been trained and like do it this way. You have to have a deeper understanding of, of the materials. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that spurred us in thinking about, well, as the country is getting more into using high quality curriculum and, to, and that's a means to implement the new college and career ready standards, um, how do we actually help teachers learn to use these materials in ways that um, it doesn't turn into looking like something that the developer never had in mind, you know, just cobbling a bunch of resources together. And so we think it's a lot of it's how the, the uh, teachers are honored and given the opportunity to be learners. You know, when I um, was ending my tenure at Learning Forward, I wrote kind of my final observations and I um, left with kind of my remarks on what do I think I've learned and what do I think has the greatest potential for impact in the field. And um, it was all about like what's going to accelerate um, our success toward equity and excellence. And one of the things I highlighted in the remarks was this commit this the importance of all teachers having access to high quality instructional materials and i was able to document the evidence that exists that was undeniably so important um, and i was so um, 
disappointed regarding the statistics about how many teachers actually had access to those materials, okay? And then we looked at um, how many teachers have access to high quality professional learning to support implementation of those materials because they're asking them to do things that they've never been asked to do before in their classroom. And there was like a dearth of research to actually validate the impact of the professional learning. There were some leading studies, but not enough. And the majority of what we read in preparation for this report didn't even go into any detail about how the professional learning to support that implementation looked any different. And so we felt this, I think, compelling obligation to let people understand, you know, unpack what do we mean by curriculum-based professional learning? What does it look like? How is it different? And then challenge them to study it as well and begin to um, engage in actually following what the research says. I'm wondering, do you recall this exact statistics? Because I feel like I've read statistics um, recently and it says like 15% of those who use high quality instructional materials are engaging in the professional learning that is needed to implement them. I don't know if you recall the exact, I'm asking a lot because that's probably a lot. <laughs> well, we know, we know that only about 30%, I think, of, of schools around the country or districts have even picked a high quality curriculum that's mm -hmm. shown to be yeah. aligned well with the standards. And so right there, that kind of says, why is it still so low? I mean, the, the standards are, are challenging. Teachers have a lot on their plate. Um, and I think part of it, comes from, I know when I went through my own teacher preparation program, you're sort of left with the idea that the teacher is the curriculum developer, right? Mm -hmm. And and even in a in a, your methods course, or you know, your, your final project is design a unit, you know? And again, I go back to the 10 years I was in the classroom. Yes, I, I made changes to materials and it wasn't, and the kids were different every year, but I had a core set of materials that I was building the curriculum from that didn't change, that, that, that were designed to be inquiry-based and uh, meet the, the needs of what kids need to know and be able to do. And so I think when we think of a teacher not as the curriculum designer, but the curriculum implementer, more like, mm -hmm. a, more like a learning engineer. How do I take things that the field has produced that are high quality, and then I have the skills and knowledge and expertise to figure out how to make these work with a broad range of kids. And so it still takes a lot of, uh, of work from the teacher. It's not following a script. It's not, it's not a, a recipe for just go and read this and, you know, and kids will automatically learn. But, you know, in other professions, you go to a doctor, um, you want, you expect them to have tools and techniques and tests and, and things to, to figure out what's wrong with you and then treat you. And I think, I think a teacher needs the same kind of high quality, uh, state of the art kinds of tools. Um, and curriculum and high quality instructional materials are one of them. Now, I can't give you the exact statistic, but I will say that regularly when we ask teachers what they need most um, in order to be successful in classrooms, time to collaborate and learn with colleagues is always among the top things. And so what, and then it's, they want to be able, they want that time to plan lessons, to refine lessons, to look at student work, and to be able to be better prepared to meet the needs of their students. And 
in curriculum-based professional learning, when they say plan lessons, they're not saying, we're not talking about planning lessons from scratch. Mm-hmm. We're talking about working with your colleagues and examining deeply and um, the, the lessons that are ahead of you, the materials that are ahead of you, and thinking, as Jim said, in how it will meet the needs of your students and where you might have to scaffold um, in order to help them be able to achieve the outcomes. A big part of this also, which it's wonderful to hear teachers say how they were uh, hesitant to do this, but then they discovered how valuable it was, is the opportunity to rehearse lessons Mm-hmm. In, with your colleagues to be able to expand your colleagues, the opportunity to experience them, give you feedback and feel better prepared to go, especially when you're using something that's new to you, be better prepared to go in and work with your students in that way. Yeah, that's really helpful, Stephanie. Thank you. And thank you, Jim for that uh, statistic as well. Um, Stephanie, I will affirm, so we are planning a podcast with uh, a wonderful third grade Witten Wisdom teacher. um, And I had asked her a couple reflection questions in order to prepare. And her number one response, I said, like, what was the most impactful time to help you implement, you know, the new curriculum? And she said, our principal gave us third grade teachers a whole day to sit together, collaborate. And she said that hands down was the number one thing that was the most impactful to her time, like just having the time to, to talk with her colleagues, to go through the materials. And they did that. They, they did some practicing. And so when you said that, it made me think of my recent conversation with her. (laughs) Yeah. And and you know, when we begin to when we begin to unpack the elements, when we go through it and talk about it a little bit more, like we're even more specific and, and deliberate in suggesting how they use that time. Because time is such a precious commodity and we know what works best in supporting high quality implementation of the materials that while I love hearing what the teacher said about the value of the time, if we could even provide protocols and guidance and a skilled facilitator, and that's not to say she didn't have it. No, you're making a great point. And there's, if there's research out there that tells us how the time can help us, right? right, We need to be using that and implementing that. So (laughs) the first step is the time. (laughs) The second step is using it wisely. Right. Right. Because teacher's time is precious. (laughs) I think we have to remember it's professional learning. And and this is an individual, like, learn on your own. Most learning requires some facilitation. Mm -hmm. And then that facilitation needs a design. It needs to have a plan. And so when teachers come together, there's a plan for how they're going to use their time. There's someone there helping facilitate the time. It's not, not somebody telling them what to do. I mean, teachers, you know, learning, you, you got to do the work, you got to do the thinking, but it doesn't mean that somebody isn't there helping facilitate those conversations and, and the thinking to help bring sure. out all the stuff that you need to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of design, <laughs> I wanted to jump into the actual elements. Um, Wait, Melissa, did Jim tell his story yet? Because if not, we have to tell the story. His Jim, science. Did, you t- did you tell it? Oh, about the design of the look of the elements? No, yeah. why, like why he, Why we're investing in this work. Did, did you, I know you told a little bit. Did you, go, did you do the full, the full story that you wanted to share? Uh, yes. 
Yes. Okay. <laughs> Stephanie's answering for you. She's like, yeah, yeah, he did. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because we can frame it now. I wanted to make right, sure good. you got your whole story out. <laughs> Because I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more and refer back to it. So I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Making sure his science story was there because the elements, you know, it looks like <laughs> a periodic table. Um, and Lori and I both were so curious when we first saw it. Like, how did you guys come to that design of, um, it, I mean, it's, it's really, it makes it interesting to look at it and puts it in, like, it organizes it well. So I just thought it was really interesting and would love to know how you all got there. Well, I think we'd like to take all the credit, but we can't take all the credit. Um, but but I have to say, as a former science teacher, when uh, the graphic designer we were working with presented it as one of the options, I was real excited because I thought, well, how cool. You know, I think the periodic table of elements is how what are the things that make up all matter in the world. So why not think about what are the elements that make up all good curriculum based professional learning? And then you put those elements in different combinations uh, to order to get the kind of, a, of, of impact you want to have, just like yeah. the different combinations of matter come together to, to make up all the, all the things that we know. So, um, so yeah, that, that so it, it was kind of, he presented about three or four different looks. And fortunately this one was not just the one that, that I liked, but Stephanie liked it. And so did the rest of our production team that was working on it. So we were, we were excited. Meanwhile, you're like rooting for it in the background, like silently cheering <laughs> science yes. ghosts. Well, I've actually, so I've actually gone in and looked at the, you know, there, there's groupings about why things are in the columns and in certain places of the periodic table. And that defines how elements interact with each other and how things are attracted to each other or, or don't react with each other. And I haven't quite figured it out, the metaphor to see if I can use that same thing to talk about the way these different things come together in combination and then create energy or create exciting learning designs in, in curriculum-based professional learning. We're pretty sure something's there. You know, that, that <laughs> the idea is you don't just hone in on one part of the periodic table. You have to pull from different parts of it. And it's how you mix those things together that make uh, powerful learning experiences. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because when I looked at it, I know I, I shared this with you all, but I, I looked at the, the orange elements, if you will. And to me, they were very representative of the human, like the people aspect of this work. And I loved that they were central and I noticed that. And then I was like, well, maybe I'm just overthinking this. You know, maybe there was some intention, <laughs> but there was, after speaking with you all, it was exciting to learn that there was intentionality in that and the, the placement of those specific elements. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty neat to, to share and to elevate on the podcast um, because there are so many intentional messages, um, you know, even just within that elements graphic. But I'm curious what the primary message is that you hope people take away from this report. So uh, I'll say it first and then Jim can reinforce it, I'm sure. But I think the primary message is that it seems pretty simple, but it's really the whole ideas in here are pretty complex to implement. But the main thing we want people to take away is that we want educators to experience through professional learning the kinds of learning experiences we expect them to create for their students. That's, you know, basically it. That, that should be the centerpiece of all professional learning. Yeah, you're asking teachers to teach in a way that probably wasn't how they learned themselves. So how am I supposed to teach if I've never experienced that kind of learning myself? And so that's 
the opportunity for curriculum-based professional learning to give teachers the opportunity. They deserve the opportunity to experience the kind of curriculum that then they're going to use and teach with their students. So they'll actually know what their students are kind of feeling and what it, uh, they're going through because they experienced it themselves in professional learning with their colleagues. And, and done well, it, it's not like, I'm sure you all have experienced in your career role-playing. Mm -hmm. This isn't role-playing. This is really deep. It's a quality experience where I'm thinking about, I'm experiencing it as my students will. And at the same time, and at a very different point, I'm reflecting on where my students would have cha been challenged, how might some of my other students responded differently, what moves will I make as a teacher to assist there? And at the same time, why is this different? How is this different? And why is this better for my students? And I can't do that by looking at something on paper. I have to sit in the moment and be the student before I'm able to actually then process as the teacher about what is this asking of me that is different than what I've done in the past. And everything yeah. Stephanie just talked about is using the student facing materials in the curriculum. I think so many times we do a little dipstick of an activity to give teachers a taste, but then we go right to the teacher facing materials. And that's just sitting and reading all of the support and all of the connections. But when you're working in the student materials, you're really kind of putting a learner hat on and you're experience, you're engaging in the task, you're reading the text, you're doing the investigation. And that's a different kind of learning that sort of models than what you're going to need to facilitate when you're uh, the teacher doing it with your students. Yeah, you I'm glad all, you mentioned that. <laughs> I know, you have me really thinking because I, I was thinking about my own professional learning I've had throughout many years and thinking, I've had pieces of these things, right? So when you talked about the elements all coming together and making it, you know, it's it's all of it together. It's not doing a role play over here one day or, you know, <laughs> looking at the student materials for, for one session over here. Now check that off the box, but that it's really bringing it all together as a whole, Um yeah. So I, I'm going to let you all talk more about that. Like, how does how does what you describe in in the elements differ from what traditional professional learning usually looks like? So I'm going to let me start, and then Jim, you can add. Like traditional, uh, when our district would adopt, you know, a new curriculum, then typically the publishers would come in and they would do an orientation to the materials, right? And then the teachers might have some time together to kind of review the scope and sequence and figure out where they're all going to be at the end of the first six weeks and be prepared to give whatever tests needed to be given, wash our hands, and we're basically done. You all have been prepared to use the new curriculum, okay? This, the we pay attention um, in curriculum-based professional learning, you pay attention to the different phases of implementing curriculum. And there are very specific things that need to happen during the launch period so that experience that you had with that um, publisher, put that away. <laughs> we, Thank create you. <laughs> some, we create something very different through the launch and we think about launch, and I'm going to ask Jim to talk about what launch looks like in a second. But then we think about 
what do we do then to support beyond the launch? Like we are very specific in planning the experiences, the variety of experiences we want teachers to have to be able to support implementation throughout the year. And then we also think about even beyond that first year, what do we do in terms of like maintenance of effort to make sure we even keep getting smarter and better with the curriculum? So curriculum is always at the centerpiece of what, you know, of where we're focusing our professional learning, how we're focusing it may shift. So, but Jim describes beautifully the, what is a great launch experience. So I want him to talk about that part of it. Yeah. So a lot of it does go back to when we were talking about time. Um, I think the launch PD has a couple of uh, goals it needs to do. One, one is obviously the teachers are going to have questions depending on how much they've already seen the curriculum or how involved they were in the selection of the curriculum. But the launch uh, session is not a lot of talking to teachers. Um, it's got to be engaging them in the materials themselves. And so they need to have a common experience in the materials and it needs to be relevant to what they teach. So don't pick a common experience that's outside of the, the grade level that they teach. Um, it needs to be relevant. And I would go as far as a, a multi-day launch event, teachers would experience all the lessons in a unit to get that arc of instruction and really understand the instructional model and, and not just have somebody tell them about this is the way the instructional model works, but have them reflect on their own experience uh, being a learner in the instructional model. Um, and that may uh, mean that some things get pushed off to the side. Like there may be things, other components like assessment or going deeper into differentiation or other elements that you'll come back to in a follow-up PD, but you need to make that launch PD manageable and answer teachers' questions, have that deep experience as a learner in the curriculum, and then make sure you've given them some time to do some planning together before they leave so that there's an idea of like, what am I going to do now that it's over? But many, I mean, we wrote this as a challenge paper at the corporation because the challenge is districts need to think beyond the launch and actually think of professional learning across the school year. Um, and so in my ideal world, uh, teachers come back and get some professional learning, maybe not as long as the launch, on every single additional unit that they're going to teach in the unit, in the, in the course. I think sometimes we think if we just go deep enough in one unit, they'll get the idea and they'll be able to figure the rest of the units out on their own. But the content may be different. The way the content's being taught could be different. It may, you know, by experiencing the curriculum yourself, you're also deepening your own content knowledge because you're doing the task, you're engaging in the text, you're developing the explanation. And that's going to make it not only better because you've experienced the learning when you do it with kids, but you're going to have a deeper understanding of what the content is. And, and a lot of times the, the standards uh, bring up both. So we want to see ongoing professional learning where you come back, you learn about an additional unit. That's when maybe you go deeper into assessment or how you're fac facilitating excuse me, how you're facilitating discourse in the classroom, um, how to dif further differentiate in the, in the materials. Schools may have professional learning time set aside, and that time could be used to come in and look at student work or to continue to plan together around upcoming lessons or reflect on lessons that have already happened. 
Teachers could be given time to go into each other's classrooms and observe each other um, teaching from the same materials. And so it's not like me watching how Laurie teaches a unit versus Melissa teaches a unit, but we're all working on the same unit. And so I might watch you teach a lesson before I get to that lesson, and that helps me. So there's lots of opportunities, I think, but it does mean looking differently at how we use time and how we uh, organize and have teachers work together. I think one of the important things about the launch is for many teachers who may be skeptical about does is this really going to demand anything different from me mm-hmm. or you know is this really going to be better for my kids it, a part of it is you know we're trying to promote that cognitive dissonance that causes people to feel somewhat shaky you know, and begin to question previous practice to begin to think about, did they really meet all the needs of their students with what they were doing in the past? Is there an opportunity here to actually be more successful? But am I prepared to do that? Kind of all those things that have to happen before somebody begins to really embrace, you know, and recognize a need to change. And so part of it is, it is participating in these lessons as a student, but another thing that might be used during the launch, and I think you mentioned this, but I'm not sure, is that they may have the opportunity to watch videos of, stu- of other teachers using the curriculum with students who look like theirs and maybe recognizing how those students respond that they may not have believed would, would be a possibility from their own students. And so then, again, that continues to promote that cognitive dissonance because every teacher believes they are absolutely doing the very best they can for their students every day. I mean, every teacher wakes, wakes up in the morning and says, you know, nobody says I'm going to give 70% of what I know today <laughs> to my kids. So, you know, to have somebody raise a question that means maybe there's something I could learn. Maybe there's something I could do different. You know, that's a, that's a powerful motivator, but at the same time, it also causes me to be reflective about what have I done in the past? So, you know, that's part of what that launch experience and promoting the reflection time is about as well. It reminds me of when Lori and I um, were working on Wit and Wisdom together to like dig into the eighth grade curriculum when we, the first year we adopted in Baltimore. And we kind of were, were doing it all on our own, just the two of us sitting next to each other, reading through things. And we had a few of those like aha moments of like, oh, I get it. This, this makes sense of like why it's structured this way or why it's different from how I would do it. Um, but I'm just like, I was thinking when you guys were talking of like, wouldn't it have been so powerful, Lori, if we got to experience those lessons ourselves or see someone else teaching it versus well, I, us like reading through on our own, trying to figure it out? I know, I know. And I, I do feel like we did do some professional learning, but like as you were sharing, Stephanie, I was thinking like what hinders, because a week long like focus would have been amazing, right? Where we could just, and we had that time, I think. Like, I just, I wonder if it's about like putting your stake in the ground as, as a leader, as, um, you know, I'm just wondering now, like what kept us in our district from that time? Because we, we were 12 month employees. I don't, you know, like we could have done that and we did do professional learning with wit and wisdom and it did encompass a lot of the qualities that you are, you know, mentioning, which feels very affirmative, 
But the extended time to really Mm -hmm. dig into those lesson arcs would have been immensely helpful at the beginning. And so I'm curious, like, and I know districts say all the time, like, well, we only have three hours or we only have six hours. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, we're doing something totally new and a hundred percent different. Like it would, you know, it's like akin to, you know, someone who's like, oh, I want to learn a new um, exercise routine. And, you know, I only have an hour though to, to work with you. And I'm like, I, I can't teach you how to do everything in this very short amount of time and then affect change for the rest of your life so that you have a healthy lifestyle. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking like, what kept us from doing that? And now I'm, I'm having flashbacks to like, oh, we should have done it all on our own, Melissa, but <laughs> that wouldn't have been effective either. <laughs> you know, um, well, so the elements are, there's 10 elements and there's three essentials. Okay. Yep. And, um, the last essentials, you know, are the, um, I'm drawing a blank. So help me (laughs) the enabling conditions. Okay. (laughs) And, and within the enabling conditions is leadership. Okay. And so when you say what held you back, it's probably what held the district back. It's probably that the leadership hadn't recognized that this is where they're going to put the stake in the ground, that of all the things that they can do to promote equity, to ensure excellence, to support teachers, that, you know, they're, they have a thousand different things that they can do that people have told them work in helping. Absolutely. Yeah. And so they're looking across the list and they haven't prioritized the curriculum and support for teachers in implementing the curriculum. And if they had made that priority, they could find the time because as you know, there are other districts that are adopting wit and wisdom, that are adopting EL education, their literacy program, and they make that commitment. They launch with a week. So when I think it's enlightened leaders make it a priority and they make sure that it's done right. And, and I also think there are there are few leaders that really understand this at a deep level so that they understand how important it is to put the time and effort into implementing what we're saying with pure fidelity. Mm-hmm. So I have a quick story. Um, Please. In, uh, so I was having lunch with somebody yesterday um, that I worked with in the past, okay? And um, she's um, plays a role in a school district um, that I've supported in the past as well. And so I asked her if she had shared the report and she shared the report and the answer she got back was, um, oh yeah, we've done it. We do that. And I thought, that's what I was just thinking. (laughs) And I I thought, (laughs) I bet they checked the boxes and I go, okay, I want you to go back and you all can probably help me think about this as well. Um, I want you to go back and ask three questions like a, what is the curriculum that they're supporting implementation? Okay, because I'm not even sure the district has high quality instructional materials. (laughs) What are you doing it for? Okay, and then B, how much time are they actually allocating to it? Because that kind of tells me the degree to which they're really invested. And then the third thing is see if you can get a, like Jim mentioned before, the professional learning curriculum that is supporting the implementation of the materials. And then come back and talk to me. And we'll see if they have, if they really are doing that. I said, I, I said, I, you know, I'm reporting on these great stories for Carnegie about districts that get this right. 
And so this will help me know if this is a district that's getting it right. Mm-hmm. So those were, yeah. we'll that's see. A- I just think people think they want to check the boxes. Oh, we know what that is. We've done it. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I feel like, you know, I, I'm thinking there was a lot of the professional learning that you're mentioning for teachers. We had, you know, institutes like three days, three day, four days. But what I think I'm grappling with is how many district leaders also went to those sessions and then also how district leaders, like, so principal, you know, I'm, I mean, everybody in, in the term leaders used the time at the school level to also initiate and continue to affect the change that began in that professional learning, because it's very, like what you all talked about earlier about the phases of the curriculum implementation, right? That launch is really a year long phase and launch may repeat for, you know, for a new teacher every year, it should repeat every year. And as others continue down the cycle um, and, and what's the plan to help teachers, I think the the, and this is my opinion, and I'm, I'm kind of asking you all if, if it's accurate or not. Um, I feel like the bigger the district, the harder this is to affect because it's just, there's more. But, you know, I'm thinking of um, a podcast that we did recent, recently with uh, a school leader from Louisiana who just had one school to affect change in. And he was like, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of the, I didn't get a lot of the pushback. I laser focused on curriculum and that was our initiative. But everything he said surrounding that was very similar to what you're all sharing, as well as he, you know, he was all in and modeling those practices. And so it was, I don't want to say easy because it's never easy to affect change, but it was easier for him to affect change in that one school building versus, you know, 150 schools across a, a massive district. So is that like a, an accurate w- way to think about it? I also think it depends on the, the person too, but that's probably another conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, you're talking about the system. And when yeah. the system is a school, that's not as complex as when it's a whole bunch of schools making up a system um, and, and spread out over a larger geographic area. I mean, in a lot of ways, Stephanie brought up the essentials and we were talking about leadership, but what you're also talking about are actually the other two essentials and that is resources and coherence. Mm-hmm. So as you've said, Districts spend a lot of time and money on professional learning, but how is it being used to help support the use of a a curriculum? Um, I think sometimes those sessions are about teaching strategies or things to kind of add to the toolkit and give teachers uh, access to more things. But at the end of the day, they leave those sessions and then they still got to go home at night and plan what they're going to do in the classroom the next day. So when we talk about curriculum-based professional learning, we're actually talking about the, the lessons, the, the things they're going to put in front of kids when they teach. And if they're working from a common set of those materials, then the kind of planning they can do together and collaborate and, and improve uh, those, those materials to, to work with uh, students is just going to be greater. Um, and, then, and then a lot of what you're talking about is coherence. I mean, so I think it starts with the vision that the, that the, school, that the school and district leaders have, particularly like a, a chief academic officer or the superintendent, assistant superintendent, whoever's in charge of curriculum and instruction, mm-hmm. they've got to have a vision for what teaching and learning looks like. And it's got to be shared across the district. And then curriculum, high quality instruction materials and curriculum-based professional learning are just a means to say, here's how we're going to 
implement this vision. And, and so when you're working with these high quality materials, you, it's not that you, you forget about the standards. You don't have to worry about them as much because now you're working with stuff, the materials that you know are aligned with the standards and yeah. aligned with that vision. So you can really dig in to what are the materials trying to tell, teach me about ways of engaging kids in this deep content and helping them start to put the pieces together to develop these deep ideas. Um, mm-hmm. And when that focus doesn't change, it stays consistent and everything the district's doing is sort of connected to that. That's what coherence is. And when, but we don't always do that. It's like, you know, what's the favorite phrase in teaching this? Don't worry, this too shall pass, you know, and, and <laughs> better know. teachers always know that like, this oh, is yeah. just a fad. Um, well, that's part of the problem is, is you're not knitting things together and connecting things. And so that's the role I think of, of, of leaders in a district is you've got to help build that coherence so that teachers can keep their focus on their kids and focus on teaching. That's a good point. I'm also one, one to say for those listening, uh, the elements is linked. If you're, if you're curious, we're, we're talking about colors, we're talking about the essentials, <laughs> we're talking about elements. I've linked the report in the show notes. So if you want to pull out the visual, uh, you know, you can do so. But Jim is referring to the essentials, which are at the um, quote bottom, as the, I assume is the foundation. I'm making some inferences here. You can nod and affirm. Okay. Um, leadership, resources, and coherence. And then there are elements that, um, you know, go into impacting those essentials and uh, you know, such as there's core design features, functional design features. There's the orange ones that I mentioned from earlier, which are, I, I interpreted them as like the, the human aspect of it. And then there's also structural, structural design features. So I just wanted to pause and name that for those listening so they could have a little framework in their brain and uh, build, we can build some schema for them while they're listening. <laughs> and also want them, you know, get into the reports. It's, it's incredible. So <laughs> yeah. Could you all actually tell us about those features a little bit, like the different those categories that Laurie just described? Sure. So um, as Laurie said, and uh, it's great working with former uh, literacy teachers uh, because <laughs> you guys talk about schema and talk about structures. And, and so when we thought about all we these- get all the symbolism. Exactly. So when we, we think about all these different elements, you got to start putting them into categories and they're all design features. They're all things that inform the design of curriculum-based professional learning. But the core design features are kind of like, well, what's what's the- main purpose here? What's the primary goal of curriculum-based professional learning? And so obviously it's about the curriculum. So we've been talking a lot about what constitutes high quality instruction materials. And and we're talking about not just materials that provide the what, but a lot of support for the how. So we're talking about, you know, high quality instruction materials, many times that have been reviewed by outside organizations, like ed reports, you know, no one's going to put out curriculum and say, yeah, ours isn't really high quality, but we think it's really cool. Don't you use it? I mean, everybody's going to claim their stuff is high quality. So you need to have some. some That's right. Yes. You know, I just like, I just had a teacher call me yesterday at seven o'clock at night and she said, we're looking at new materials for math curriculum. And I said, okay, hold on. Let me send you ed reports. I was like, don't pick anything less than all green. Like that's, this is your starting point. And you, you please don't just pick anything. And some of the ones they were reviewing, it was like orange, orange, orange. I was like, no. So you're right. There's so many things to choose from. And, and if, if you, you, you know, know better, do better. We've got to do better collectively. Well, sometimes the, I think curriculum-based professional learning starts with teaching teachers how to look at materials, how to look. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they need 
a professional learning process to actually pull apart the materials and analyze them and understand why they're put together the way they do. Most teachers, like most of us, do a thumb test and we kind of flip through materials and it either looks like what we're used to teaching with or it doesn't. And many times these reform-based materials are ones aligned more with the standards. They don't look like maybe what we used to teach with. And so there may need to be even a professional learning process for even how to look at materials. Um, I did my dissertation on something like that, helping science teachers look at materials. And many times uh, they would come back after that experience and go, I'll never look at materials the same because you've given me a way to look at them. That now I have a set of expectations of what materials are supposed to help me do. And, um, and, and they, won't, they don't lose that. So curriculum is a, is a core design feature, obviously. Transformative learning is a core design feature. And it goes back to when Stephanie was talking about creating that cognitive dissonance. Um, if you sit in professional learning and you're not um, thinking, you're not learning, right? I mean, that's just the reality. And we learn through our experience. We don't necessarily learn because someone gives us a good rationale or convinces us of this is how you ought to do it. They, you could try that and you might get some short-term change, but the long-term change is going to be um, when you've had a set of experiences that all of a sudden... Now you think about things differently. You may even start to change your beliefs based on those experiences. And so that kind of learning is the result of deliberate design. And so we need to think about transformative learning is when you have experiences that change deeply held beliefs and, and ideas that you have. And then the third core design feature is around equity. And, um, and this is, I think, core um, now, uh, particularly because of making sure that we have high expectations for all students um, where I, like Stephanie said before, teachers want to do good for their students. And sometimes that means we meet kids where they are uh, to help them with the learning. But what if where they are is a grade two level or two below where they should be? Um, so now my challenge is I need to meet kids where they are, but I have to move them onto grade level content. Otherwise, I might be helping them learning and they might be engaged, but they're not working at the grade level that they need to be at. And so, um, mm -hmm. one, of, so one of the things teachers have to uh, really come to grapples with, I think, in, in using high quality materials is meeting kids where they are moving them onto grade level content. And that requires a lot of complex decisions that they have to make. We're talking a lot these days about learning loss and about acceleration. And again, you know, I used to be a science teacher. So acceleration means go faster. And it's like, no, we're not talking about going faster, but we're talking <laughs> about moving on to grade level, keeping kids focused on the, on the work of the grade level. And then whatever differentiation we have to do to help kids move on to that, that whatever scaffolds we need, um, and, and so forth. And so um, equity is, is, there's other dimensions, I think, of equity, but I think that at the core, that's what we're talking about is, is high expectations for all kids. And then on the right um, in the design are the structural design features. Um, I, those are collective participation models in time. And, and they basically describe the settings for learning, like there are occasions when people will need to learn individually, and it could be there are reasons for model teaching and coaching, and there are times when collective learning, um, as we've described already. And then they also kind of describe the parameters in which we're, we are sometimes forced to work. The amount of time um, that we're going to have for this to take place will kind of guide us in what we can accomplish and um, when it will take place as well. So 
that's the structural design features are probably the things that people are most familiar with. Um, and they deal with those all the time. And they're pro the parameters that are also the limitations of what we can accomplish. And then the, the third part of design features are the functional ones or the orange ones that Laurie was talking about before that kind of struck her as the more human-centered ones. Um, these were actually the ones I think we end up talking about the most because I think they're the most neglected parts of, of high-quality professional learning. I totally this agree is, with that. <laughs> yeah, th this is like, so how does it work? You know, we know what the focus is on. We know mm -hmm. what the structures are. But how does it work? So in some ways, it's like the pedagogy of curriculum-based professional learning. And so one of these is uh, elements is learning designs. Um, so this is not, you know, putting a PowerPoint presentation together and saying, here's my professional learning session that I'm going to run the deck and follow the script. <laughs> but it's really thinking about what's the learning design that I'm going to create for the adult. So it's the adult professional learning curriculum. And because this is um, learning to use new instructional materials, it gets back to what we said before about teachers needing to experience the learning. So we talk about this idea of a teacher hat, student hat. So put your teacher hat aside and put your learner hat on your student hat and give and in the design of the professional learning, give teachers the, the chance to actually experience it. And so that happens, like I said before, as the result of deliberate design. And so we're really trying to get people to think about what's the design. This helps move it away from that idea of a training session to professional learning. And then another one of these elements is about beliefs. If we're going to have a transformative learning experience, we're going to have to tap in to what do teachers believe? Uh, what do, do they think all kids can learn? And what do they think high quality instructional materials are? And how do they think they ought to teach certain topics in their discipline or, or, or what's, what are certain effective strategies? And so sometimes this can be addressed by the kinds of prompts that you give teachers to talk about at their table or with partners or share in the room or chart and make visual so that the thinking of what uh, people have in the room uh, goes visual. And so you need to surface beliefs and then many times they're not going to be consistent with the vision of what these uh, curriculum are trying to do. And so we constantly have to kind of come back and keep revisiting uh, uh, those beliefs uh, throughout professional learning. And then reflection and feedback. So this is not um, it's, it's teachers reflecting individually and in groups with each other, but it's also looking at the data on how students are learning, how we're using that to kind of inform uh, professional learning. Um, the feedback could be, uh, through coaching or someone uh, that you're working with that has more expertise in the curriculum and that's giving you feedback. So there's a lot of different ways to think about reflection and feedback as part of the pedagogy. And then the fourth one is around change management. And this is where we think about how, do, how are the teachers feeling about what's their attitude toward this change? When, when you two were talking earlier about working together on wit and wisdom, you, you were sort of what I call the early adopters. You, you were willing to take that time and find each other and work together and dig into the curriculum. And they're going to be teachers like that, but they're also going to be teachers that are more skeptical about this or kind of go, yeah, I don't, I, that may work for Laurie and Melissa, but that's not my style. This isn't how I like to teach. And so we're going to have to think about what's the change management process of learning more about what are teachers' concerns and then using those concerns and building them into future types of uh, interventions to support people in their professional learning journey. I just love, <laughs> love the functional design features because like you said, I think it just gets ignored 
from my experience, at least, I, I haven't seen that be addressed. And I've seen things almost the opposite, you know, as you know, you know, we've, we adopted a new curriculum and I hear a lot of like, well, why, why aren't teachers just doing it? <laughs> like, like they just need to do it. Um, or like some accountability to try like, well, if we just go in and we're, you know, observing and seeing what they're doing and then we'll have a conversation with them after that'll get them to do it <laughs> um or you know I, I actually heard one time someone say like you know I don't even really care what the teachers think anymore I just need them to do it just need to do the curriculum so I just love like that this is part of it like these are humans and they're have their own beliefs and there's real <laughs> research it's the, it's the hardest part things. of it <laughs> it's it is the hardest, the hardest part. part and it's also how you lose people right you lose you lose people if you don't address those things, but you know, lose them meaning like, I mean, they could just leave, but they also just might check out. Right. And mm -hmm. yeah. what's yeah. interesting is uh, if you took everything you said about the way we sometimes just expect teachers to you know do the curriculum, uh, would we ever go into a classroom and have that attitude toward kids as learners and just say, just, just no. do the task, just do the work, <laughs> do what I'm telling you to do. We would say, no, I, that's not good teaching. That's not what learning looks like. So I think part of it is putting a mirror on professional learning mm -hmm. and saying, is this really can model and is consistent with what we know about how people learn. And whether you're an adult or whether you're a kid, there's still some ideas there about what we know about how people learn. And so the functional design features really are trying to bring some of that kind of thinking in, into the design of curriculum-based professional learning and mm -hmm. make it model the kind of learning that goes on in the classroom. Yeah, that's a great analogy, you know, bringing the kids into it. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we've been chatting for a long time. Uh, do you feel like, I feel like we could talk to you for a whole nother, like several hours. So <laughs> short of doing that, <laughs> um, would would you both like to you know share any last final words on the elements or um or share any advice like I'll just leave this open-ended to both of you because I feel like you've shared so much wisdom so far um like how do you want how do you want to go out with this podcast <laughs> um definitely so I want I I want to end with this that Writing about this work is 10 times easier than doing this work. Mm. <sighs> that it is to do this well yeah. is probably one of the greatest challenges that somebody will accept, which is why the Carnegie Foundation wrote a challenge paper, I'm sure. Um, but on me personally, when I'm now asked to, lead or create any sort of learning for adults, I have to challenge myself to make sure I am implementing what I have written is so important. And it is the most difficult design work I have ever done. I mean, even like thinking about a podcast and how do you represent some of these ideas in a podcast by not just teaching the idea, but giving examples <laughs> Hoping you're creating reflection among your listeners. It's like, this is really hard stuff, but incredibly, um, with incredible potential to make a huge difference in what happens in classrooms. I'm so glad you said that, Stephanie, because when you see the like clean elements and it's like, <laughs> these all make sense and it looks so good. And I think it's really important to know like the reality of it is 
a lot messier and it's difficult. Well, as I was listening to Stephanie say that, it reminds me when I left the classroom and uh, started working in more in professional learning outside the classroom, um, I remember getting really frustrated that like, man, working with these adults is so much harder than working <laughs> with kids. And there was even a time <laughs> that I thought, I'm just going to go back to working in the classroom because I, I knew more of like what was going on there. And it was around that same time um, I went back to school and got exposed to some more ideas in graduate school. But I also started working with uh, colleagues that to this day still have shaped a lot of how I think about professional learning and, and, and pushed my thinking the same way Stephanie's talking about um, what, what we hope this report does. So that when you talk about stuff and then you think about your work, you put your mouth where your where your uh, your work where your mouth is. Like you really start doing what you've been preaching uh, mm -hmm. to folks. Um, and for me, the the the, the thing that gets uh, me excited about this is I, I feel like in education we're in the business of learning, right? And and learning is basically asking people to change. Um, but people don't like to change, right? And so yeah. it's kind of ironic that we're supposed to be the experts <laughs> on learning, which means that we should be the experts on helping people to change. Because we every day when kids come in the classroom, we expect them to learn. So that means we expect them to change some of the ideas that they have and maybe take on some new ideas or rethink some things. But when we turn to working with adults, we don't apply that same knowledge we have about learning. And I think when we do... I know, I know when we do, because I've seen it, it just, it changes the way teachers think about their work. It makes them excited about being a teacher, it rejuvenates a veteran teacher, a, yeah. a young teacher. It, it gives, sees the, they see the potential and the future of like what they could really do to impact kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really, again, I, I thought about the time when I was in the classroom, if I had this, and I didn't, we didn't have the internet back then. So nowadays people <laughs> go and, you know, they just, they look up stuff. We have a question, we go to the Google, you know, and, and we look for the answer. Um, I, I just think we need better tools and resources, which are what high quality instructional materials are. And then we really have to challenge the professional learning providers, the facilitators of professional learning to say, you've got a model, the same kind of learning that we want to see in the classroom. That's what powerful professional learning looks like. I think one of the greatest compliments people can give after a session, like, oh, that was such a good meeting. Well, it's because we didn't design it as a meeting. We designed it as a learning session and yeah. you learned something. And that's why you thought it was good, right? It wasn't just a good use of your time. Mm -hmm. uh, it was what you walked away with, what you now can do that, uh, that you couldn't do before. So it's about learning. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there's so much, I have a million more questions for you all, but I know we have, we have to cut it, we have to cut it at some yeah. point. But we are, we are, we're so grateful. Um, it's funny because Melissa Absolutely. and I were like both a, a little bit nervous. I'm like, I hope that we can, we can hang with how smart you both are. Um, so we are super grateful to have the opportunity to have talked with both of you. Um, and just to, that you've given us, you know, now at this point, you know, a couple hours of your time and our listeners are just going to appreciate this so much. We, Melissa, I think we hit like 50 K downloads. Did Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and we are over 50 episodes, so we've got a nice listener base and, um, it, we're just really thrilled that they get to hear your voices and, Absolutely. and read the elements after this, if they haven't already, or maybe take a second look. Right. Not just check the boxes off. Don't just check them. I love it. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your days. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.